worry is a misuse of the imagination. And so sometimes worry can overcome an entrepreneur and it, it completely paralyzes them, right? And that's the worst thing that can happen. You just got to work the problem and get through it and you'll probably solve it. There's a better chance than not you're going to get through it. All right, everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision with Clearview. This is your host, Brett Kissler. Today, I'm with Albert Santolo. He's the founder and CEO of 8Base. How are you doing today, Albert? I'm doing great, Brett. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So tell me a little bit about 8Base. So 8Base is a low-code development platform for building digital products. So uh, to explain a little bit about what we mean about digital products, it's it's essentially outward facing uh, software. So software that somebody, you know, for instance, a startup would build for their customers, as opposed to software they would use to operate more efficiently inside the four walls of the company. Hmm. Yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. What, is, what exactly does that mean? What's an example? Yeah, so if you, you know, for instance, if someone was building a software as a service application or a marketplace, that would be a great example of what gets built on 8Base. And then the, the low code part of what we do means that we have a platform that we've built to abstract away a lot of the complexity that would otherwise be built from the ground up. Um, so we start from you know a high degree of completion and then we customize what's on top of 8Base to, to fulfill the vision of the product. So it, it, it greatly, you know, dramatically accelerates the, the time and lowers the amount of cash that's required to build one of these apps to scale. Right. So how long have you guys been around? The company was incorporated in 2017 and the product went live for the first time uh, towards the end of 2018. And it's been it's been evolving ever since. OK, where did you where did you come up with the idea for this? How did this come to be? <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've, I've started a few companies before and they always come from some sort of personal pain that I was feeling. So this one in particular, this had been in my mind for probably two decades, um, mm. living the problem. You know, I'm originally an engineer and then uh, I became an entrepreneur for the first time in the lead role in 2001, you know, and I've seen a lot of software development. And what I observed was that, you know, you had to hire these massive engineering teams, you had to raise money, you had to spend a lot of money on them. Yet most of what they were working on was what we would call non-unique systems. Mm -hmm. uh, the things that help power an application, but don't necessarily contribute to the innovation. And I felt like we could abstract that away into a platform and uh, really, really refocus the engineering efforts to, you know, 80, 20, 80 being 80% 80 being on innovation and not uh, non-unique systems. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how that, how that journey went from, from the idea to actually delivering on it. Yeah. So, um, I stepped down from my former company in 2016 and started working on the business plan for, for 8Base around that time. And then, uh, you know, put together the company in March of 2017, put together the initial team and the initial funding. Um, the initial funding was about a million dollars of angel investment. That for me, you know, given my prior history of, of raising for these companies, that was the smallest raise I had ever done. Uh, but purposely wanted to do it that way. I wanted to, to, in essence, bootstrap the beginning. 
And so that's what we did. Um, we then got you know, to work on software development later in 2017. It took us about a year to get the initial product out to the, to the market. Um, I believe we launched sometime in November of 2018 for the first time. Hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit more about how about that decision that you wanted to to basically bootstrap it. You wanted to raise a small seed round. What was behind that? Um, I wanted to have number one. I wanted to have total flexibility to sort of drive the vision the way myself and the team wanted to go. Um, so I didn't want you know early entanglements with institutional investors. Hmm. And I really wanted to get the company to a point where where the flywheel was turning before I would I would entertain you know real institutional money. Um, so you know, and I was in a position where I didn't need to draw compensation. You know, I could just I could invest my own money. I could I could sort of do it that way because not everybody is in that position. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to take a very you know careful, thoughtful approach to how we build the product and then how we put it in the marketplace and drive product market fit. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you got to that place of finding market fit. Where, where, where did you first realize that you started to have that? What did that look like? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, I would say this is an ongoing journey of us finding product market fit. Um, our, our product is addresses a very broad swath of potential customers, right? It's built it's a tool that cuts across horizontally to different industries, different functional areas of business. Um, it's very broad. And so we have customers that represent that. We have customers in a lot of different industries uh, and we have two types of customers. So we have customers that are developers, uh, anything from a solo developer that's using our product for free uh, or then, and then begins to pay to larger customers like IBM Global Services and NATO, which uh, you know is one of our largest, what we call pure platform customers. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, we have uh, businesses that engage us not only for the platform, but for services as well, where we help them design and build on top of the 8Base platform. So it's almost like two lines of business. And I would say product market fit in each of those is different. Hmm. Um, on the platform side, you know, what we offer is a backend as a service. So if you think of modern software as a backend, a front end and an API, 8Base today is very, very strong on the backend and the API, but we're getting ready to launch some additional capabilities towards building the front end as well. So that would put us in the full sort of low code spectrum. And, uh, you know, we're really excited about that. And at that point, we really intend to push a lot harder on the pure platform side of our business from a, from a marketing, from a go to call it a go to market perspective mm-hmm. on the services side, you know, we found pretty early product market fit because especially with let's, let's say non-technical founders that didn't necessarily want to hire a big engineering team or couldn't find a CTO or whatever it might be. We step in, we help hold their hands. You know, obviously we have a lot of experience bringing sophisticated venture backable products to market. So we bring that expertise and then we bring our platform to, to make it so that we develop faster. They get the benefits of that and they never have to replatform is another really big important part of it because the system will hyperscale uh, and meet their sort of more enterprisey requirements as things evolve without you having to worry about rebuilding it on some, some other way. Mm. 
Yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like you came into this with a lot of experience and a lot of confidence. Like we don't need to raise that much money. We'll be able to bootstrap this. I've known this. This has been a pain point for decades for me. We're just going to get to solving this now. And I'm I'm curious what challenges you ran into that were unexpected. Like any anything that blindsided you. There's always challenges. Um, you know, anytime you're trying to get you know a team of people sort of rowing in the same direction, trying to trying to get a product to market, trying to pivot quickly, you know, all entrepreneurs have challenges with team and, you know, finding the right resources, uh, motivating them properly and getting them to do things. So there's always challenges there. I would say that one of the challenges we came across really was related to the backend as a service in itself. Um, my belief is that the strength of the product will will grow exponentially as we roll out the front-end development tools. So in other words, the back-end by itself is amazing, but the gap between you know someone being able to use it and getting developed software, mm-hmm. there's this whole front-end development piece that exists. So we're gonna essentially you know do away with 80% of that pretty soon here as we release our app builder product. Yeah, it's fascinating. So so yeah, the, the challenges are something that's just kind of ongoing. It's just each of the next steps in the process. There's nothing like anything that like, I mean, in a lot of, in a lot of founders journeys and a lot of startups, there's like major pivots that occur or there's points where you figure out you were running six months in, in a, in the wrong direction and having to shift or change or, yeah. you know, you found that maybe you were just burning yourself out and your personal life was suffering uh, it sounds like things were fairly have been fairly smooth for you with Eight Base. <laughs> like consider like compared to anybody else that I've been talking to, it sounds fairly straightforward. Yeah. All right. So let let's uh, let me let me let me respond to that. So there's always challenges. You know, I've been dealing with challenges in startups since 2001. Right. So hmm. like I may be a little more Teflon than most people when it comes to this stuff, mm-hmm. just because I've seen a lot. When I first did this. I evolved as a person, right? So in 2001, when I started my first company, it was a month after 9-11. It was a year after the dot-com bubble had burst. I was a relatively young tech entrepreneur, which in those days, you know, you may be too young to remember this, but I mean, in those days, tech entrepreneurs were like on the cover of all the wrong magazines for having like (laughs) screwed up the economy, right? So, Uh So, and then to compound all that, I had four young kids and a wife who was a school teacher at home. So I was the breadwinner. I walked around, uh, away from very, very nice, gainful employment to do this. So it was a terrifying experience. Um, so that in itself, you can imagine, you know, if you can overcome that, problems that, that you encounter in business, oftentimes you can just, you just have, you, I, I became a creature of faith, right? Before that, I was a creature of logic. If mm. I didn't see the road to how I could win, I didn't start walking down that path. But somewhere in that journey, in that first company, I became a creature of faith because I realized that as long as I continued to work hard and try, impart good judgment, so in other words, I didn't pursue things that weren't worth pursuing, the doors were gonna open up and problems were gonna get resolved, right? That like worry is a misuse of the imagination. And so sometimes worry can overcome an entrepreneur and it, it completely paralyzes them, right? And that's the worst thing that can happen. Absolutely. You just got to work the problem and get through it. And you'll probably solve it. There's a better chance than not you're going to get through it, right? Yeah, I love that. Those are those are a couple of great nuggets right there. Like becoming 
from a, a creature of logic to a creature of faith. And then a, a question that comes up for me is, what's the difference between grounded realism and worry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's a that's a great one, you know? I, I, you know, a fair amount of cynicism is important and right. Seeing around people talk about being able to see around corners, right? Mm. Seeing around corners is part judgment and it's a lot of experience, right? Um, you just can't let the fear of what could happen get in the way of execution because otherwise it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Otherwise mm. the worst will happen. Cause that was something that could happen. And if you focus on that, then that will happen. Yeah. But yeah, also, absolutely. if you let it be in your blind spot and you're not looking at it, it will also happen. It could. It yeah. could, for sure. Or some variant of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So so tell me a little bit more about like your personal experience in this transition from being a creature of logic to a creature of faith. What does what does faith mean to you? Yeah, so faith, faith means, number one, faith in my or our vision, right? What we're trying to do. There was a reason that we 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 developed the the courage to start, right? And it's not because we had like in my case, like I could have pursued a corporate path, right? I didn't have mm -hmm. to do this. It was a calling, but I didn't want to do something in what what I would consider trivial, right? Because the biggest investment of an entrepreneur's the biggest investment an entrepreneur is making is of their time. You know, they're going to burn five, 10 years. And at the end of the day, what are they going to have to show for it? Right. So it's a big investment. So having faith that I was pursuing the right problem and then having faith that I would impart, you know, that, that through hard work and good judgment, I would make the right decisions, put myself in the right place to have opportunities show up. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us have had some experience where we were just in the game and something completely unexpected showed up and it turned out to be amazing, right? Yeah. But it, was, it, it wasn't something we could plan, right? Yeah. It's like, we just had to be in the game. So 50% of the battle is just being in the game. Mm -hmm. And being there, being there when the opportunity presents itself and That's being right. ready for it. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about one of those moments uh, where, that, where that occurred, where you were, you were keeping the faith if you were, if your logical mind was active, your logical mind would have been in worry, and you were like, "Okay, logical mind, we're just gonna, oh, we're yeah. just gonna stay yeah. here in faith." And then, and then that thing came unexpectedly. What was, what's a good example of that for you? Uh, I'll, yeah. So the the story that comes to mind for me is the following: in, in my prior company, CareCloud, which was, you know, by the way, a very capital intensive company. Right. That company was started with about with three million dollars of angel investment in 09, 5 million in two thousand ten. And then, and then did over $100 million of Silicon Valley venture capital. When the company first started, you can imagine, it was 2009. It was the heart of the downturn. So that was the company number two. The first one was in 01 after 9-11. The second one was in the financial downturn. Um, I get invited by MIT to represent the United States at a competition in, in Barcelona, at basically a conference competition in Barcelona. And I said, okay, let me also go to Spain and see if I can raise some money. And uh, one of my mentors said to me, you know, why are you going to Spain? There's no money there right now. But we went. Uh, we ended up doing really well in the competition in, in, in Barcelona. Met the IBM venture capital guys there who said, listen, we don't do direct investing, but we are having this competition in Silicon Valley uh, in a couple months called Smart Camp. 
and we want to invite you. So they invited us. Um, now, we, you know, we're based in Miami, Florida. All, all my companies have been. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went out there. We got shortlisted from, you know, a few hundred companies to uh, down to five. We competed against the other four, which were all Silicon Valley companies. And then we won. So we're there in the Quadris in the middle of Sand Hill Road. And uh, people are scratching their heads going, who are these guys from Miami? And that eventually led to a $20 million Series A by two prominent, you know, Silicon Valley VCs, which, be which ultimately became the first Silicon Valley venture deal in Miami and probably a decade before. Yeah, and if well. I, yeah, and if I hadn't just said, screw it, I'm going to Barcelona and we're going to do this thing and we're going to compete in Smart Camp, like it was a bunch of leaps of faith that just felt right. And ultimately yielded, you know, a very positive outcome. Yeah, wow. That that also speaks to something else in in this journey that getting VC capital while being based in Miami in you know the two thousands that that must have been not that common an experience. It was. It wasn't. Here's what I would tell you on that one. Right. I I'm fortunate in the sense that because I've been based in Miami. I've been able to access high net worth individuals for capital. You know, in Miami, there is a lot of high net worth money. Um, it's not easy to get, but because I had a very good reputation and a, and a robust network, I was able to get it because early stage money for these ventures is extremely hard to get from somewhere else. At least it was back then. You know, Silicon Valley obviously has a huge amount of deal flow and early stage VCs can can stay very, you know, they don't have to hop on airplanes to help nurture and fund their companies, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how things worked. So by the time I went out for venture funding in either of my companies prior, I always I felt like I had a winning hand already. Like I, I already had built a business that was, you know, had both reached sort of critical mass of revenue and had a flywheel effect going in terms of sales and marketing. So it was easier to attract to attract money at that point. And that generally speaking has been the playbook that I've used. Now that that's begun to change because you have a lot of venture capitalists these days whose thesis is to invest outside the valley, right? Because mm -hmm. of the inflation of valuations and, and how expensive things are out there. Yeah. But back in those days, I mean, back in those days it was completely undefined territory you know there was no y combinator for some of this there was no tech stars there was there wasn't all this information that you have on the internet on how to do stuff there was no safe agreement there wasn't even convertible debt mm -hmm. it was like you were doing price rounds every round right it was just it was just a different ball game yeah so so i want to bring this back into something related to the you know that the creature of logic and creature of faith it sounds like that's that particular strategy is very effective that that shift is a very important shift for for a founder's journey and for a company but also it's for anything else in life any any pursuit and i'm curious how that how that shift has affected your life outside of business whether it's in your family or creative pursuits or you know athletics or something yeah i think i think that's a really sort of astute observation so it, it, it really, at the end of the day, is a risk-taking philosophy, right? It's like, how much risk are you willing to take, um, whether that be personal or business, et cetera, because putting yourself out there is, 
can can be an ego damaging thing potentially, right? It's like, mm. um, so I would say that I I've certainly evolved as a human being as I went through those cycles. Um, but if I look back at my life, the best things that have ever happened to me have been when I have, you know, placed big bets on myself, right? When I have just sort of gone out there. Um, not exactly, you know, knowing what I was trying to, who I was trying to get to, et cetera, but just put myself in the situation and things showed up, you know, mm-hmm. I would say that in my personal life to a certain degree, that's how my wife and I got together. Right. And we've been, we've been together for almost 30 years and to, you know, certainly in business when I haven't been, you know, sort of locked at home, you know, trying to get work done behind the computer versus touching the outside world and putting myself in these somewhat uncomfortable situations sometimes, that's when the best things have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I like something you said there about, you know, putting yourself out there can be sort of, can be a risk to the ego. It can be ego damaging, but it's actually like the lack of being ego protective, like putting yourself out there is like, yeah, my ego may be annihilated here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I may I may find yeah. that these things that I these sacred cows that I hold dear to my personality may be different than what I'm expecting. Yeah. And you know, that's the only way you can grow. It really is. It so really it's almost is. And like you move forward into, hey, you know what? Let's let my ego just be just annihilated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the end at the end of the day, it's um the most important thing in all of this, you know, obviously aside from being healthy and, and, you know, healthy in body, healthy in mind and having your family intact and all this stuff. When you look at the business side of all this, the most important thing is not your ego. The most important thing is to win. Uh, Mm -hmm. even if your ego is secondary, right? So the important thing is to take, if you're a founder to take a company from zero to some type of successful exit, for yourself and for everybody else involved. And notice I say it in that order mm-hmm. because there's too many times that a founder goes from zero to exit and sometimes it's not that good for them. And mm-hmm. so part of this is the founder protecting themselves along the way, uh, protecting their early investors uh, as you know more and more rounds of capital come in and more and more demands come in. It's a, it's a very tricky thing. Yeah. Yeah, you said you said like it's important. The thing that's important is to win, and also I can hear an awareness of constantly defining what does it actually mean to win. Like, what yeah. does winning mean? Because you could lose sight of what your own needs are and the needs of your employees by setting a particular winning metric that is successful exit by some standards, but not actually good for you. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's yeah. it's very it's very tricky, and that's that's why I would say on the third company, I took a more conservative approach to fundraising uh, to make sure that you know the milestones that I was setting for 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 the for the company, we were sort of hitting them before before going to the next to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. So as my final question for this episode, Albert, what, what do you see as your next step for eight base? What, what are you currently keeping the faith in? <laughs> a couple things. So we're in the call it early days of creating that repeatable flywheel of sales and marketing. Um, it's working. So I'm really excited about that. You know, 
in total, by the way, so 8Base has been capitalized with a, a little little shy of $5 million overall, which is still a relatively small amount for considering what we're doing. You know, but I'm, especially on the heels of this, this you know, very, very important piece of our product that we'll be releasing later this year. Um, I'm giving some serious thought to, at this point, really stepping on the gas with, with a larger round of capital. Hmm. So, um because I think it's, you know, it's going it, to, it, potentially if we don't, uh, given the strength of the product, we're just not going to maximize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish you the best of, I was about to say luck, but I mean of fortune and the opportunities to find that find you perfectly situated <laughs> and in the game at the right times. And thank you for joining us, Albert. Yeah, I'll, I appreciate that. And uh, But I'll take a little bit of luck too, by the way. There's no, there's no replacement for a bunch of good luck. So, but no, thank you, Brett. This has been great. Yeah. Take care. You, you too.